Notice the scripture, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Today what I'm going to do is, as opposed to maybe just taking a particular topic, I'm going to focus on two scriptures, primarily this scripture, and I want you to see there's so much wealth of information and understanding that you can gain just from a small portion of Scripture. Again, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the original Greek language, there is a play on words in this verse that is not obvious in English. The Greek word for Peter in this verse is Petros, Petros, and the word for rock is Petra, Petra. These two words are similar, but they have a slightly different meaning. Petros is masculine, and it means a rock. It means a piece of a rock, a stone. So if Peter was here today, we might nickname him Rocky. That's what Jesus did. His real name is Simon, but Peter, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to call you Rocky. The word Petra, the word for rock, is feminine. It actually means a massive rock, a boulder, or a foundation. So Jesus did not say He did not say, Peter, you are the rock, and I will build my church on you, which is what some religious people or some denominations uh, believe. Certainly, Peter was instrumental in spreading the gospel and establishing the early church. But the church is not built on Peter. Jesus didn't say that. But rather, the church is built on on the confession of faith that Peter made. So if you read the verses before the one that we just read to you, we see that Jesus asked his disciples a question. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples were quick to answer. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah or one of the prophets, one of the Old Testament prophets. That's rather interesting that that's what many people thought at at that time because all of those people that the disciples just listed at that moment, they're all dead. They're all dead. The prophets of the Old Testament, they, they were not living at that time. In fact, Even John the Baptist, at this moment, as they're having this conversation, had already been executed by Herod. He had been beheaded by King Herod. In fact, Herod himself said in Matthew 14, verse 2, concerning Jesus, Herod said, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Of course, he's wrong, as he was wrong about almost everything. So in the general population, in the population, no one evidently really knew who he was, or almost no one really knew who he was. But the general consensus was 
He certainly is not an ordinary man. See? They could believe he was a resurrected prophet from the past, something that is totally unscriptural. But they could not believe, thank you, they could not believe he was the Christ whom the prophets predicted throughout the scriptures. It's really interesting. It's amazing how some people in the church world cannot believe the Bible, but they can believe almost anything else. It's amazing to me. People who have no confidence, no faith in the Bible, but they believe in all sorts of superstitions. They believe in all sorts of nonsense theories and fantasies and foolishness. And, you know, they have no problem believing in extraterrestrials and UFOs, which honestly, there's like no or hardly no evidence for that at all, honestly. But, you know, we tell them what the Bible says. They look at you cross-eyed and stutter and say, uh, I don't know. You never know what God's going to do, blah, blah, blah. When a man does not believe the gospel, it seems like he will believe almost anything else. Amen? Now, John called the nation to repentance, and his ministry was very effective, very effective. But he never worked a miracle. Remember, I'm just telling you, we're going to take maybe one verse and just chew on it and examine it. We're going to try to deepen you, take you deeper. John the Baptist never worked a miracle. He never, there were never any miraculous signs and wonders. In his, he never healed anybody. He never cast out any demons. Yet, in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says all the people, meaning the people in Israel, all the people were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. In other words, people, everybody, was wondering, is he the Christ? In fact, the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem sent representatives out in the wilderness to meet John and ask him if he was the Messiah. So that means, you know, even these are, the, these are the educated theologians, part of the ruling class, the elite. They sent representatives to come face to face with John and ask him, are you the Christ? Huh? And John told them plainly, there's no mistake about it, he told them plainly, I am not. And the Bible tells me in the Gospel of John, and the very next day, not a month later, not a week later. The very next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and publicly announced, this is the one. And everybody heard him say it. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't done in some dark corner. So here's what I'm getting at. Since nearly everybody alive at that moment was wondering, asking themselves, is John the Baptist the Christ. So they know that Christ is coming. They're looking for him, and they're wondering, this must be the one. And John the Baptist plainly told them, no, I'm not, but Jesus is. So why would there be any doubt in anybody's mind? 
They all, they all are, they would find it easy to believe if John had said, yes, I am the Christ, they would have found that easy to believe. Even the high priests and the Levites and, 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 the, and the general population would have found it easy to believe. Yep, 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 that's what we thought. We thought, but he wasn't. But Jesus is. So why would there be any doubt in anybody's mind at that time? Wouldn't everybody in Israel know Jesus is the Messiah? And yet, who do people say I am? And they didn't say, everybody says you're the Christ. Why? Often, people believe simply what they want to believe. That's true today, just as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Many people believe only because it's what they want to believe. And of course, if it's something they don't want to believe, they dismiss it. If you only believe what you want to believe, you're on the highway to deception. There are many things in God's word that your flesh finds displeasing. You cannot remove that from Scripture. It's just as true as your favorite verse. Some people only read their favorite verses. They only want to hear preaching about their favorite topics. You will never grow up that way. And I'll go one step further. The subject that you like the least is the one you need the most. That's why when you, when you talk about something like, I don't know, it could be a thousand things. Let's talk about patience. Let's talk about humility. And some people go, that tells you that's the guy that needs it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Huh. Well, many times people believe simply what they want to believe. And the fact is, honestly, the Jews did not like Jesus. Just to put it bluntly, he didn't fit the image. He wasn't what they were looking for. It's not what they had in mind. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, which is a chapter about the suffering of Christ, in, in Isaiah 53 verse 2, in the easy-to-read version, it says this, and I like this translation. There was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked. Nothing we could see that would cause us to like him. Now see, that kind of destroys the thoughts that some Christians have. So in other words, if today Jesus was on Instagram, he would have very few followers. Let me read that again. There was nothing special or impressive about the way he looked. Nothing we could see that would cause us to like him. Like, man, he's sharp. Woo. That guy has swag. He's cool. Mm. And all the girls go, oh, no. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. 
Let's listen. Let me give you another verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 says this. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That's interesting. Now, in that verse, in fact, in that whole passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul is actually talking about salvation. That people who have no status in the world tend to be the ones who are most receptive to the gospel. It's interesting that the Bible says, you know, while the religious leaders debated with Jesus, the common people heard him gladly. So when Paul, in this chapter, you can read it later on, when he talks about, you know, God has, has called, he really means those who have responded to the call of God. Not just that God chose them, but God chose them and they responded to his invitation, you see. Hmm? So, in the same way, God intentionally chose one who was not popular not attractive, not charming as our Savior. I mean, he's the Son of God. He was clothed in flesh. If I was the Son of God and, you know, and I find out, okay, I've got to put on a human body, I would pick the best-looking human body anybody's ever seen. And obviously, I'm not the Son of God, and obviously that didn't happen either. <laughs> right? Whom God chooses is almost always not whom man chooses. And what is a priority with men is often not a priority with God. Let's put it to a little more bluntly. What you think is so important, there's a good possibility God doesn't care at all about that. <laughs> I've got to have the latest style purse. I just got to. I just have to. That's more than I, I've got to, you know, get the latest style haircut. I, I just can't go on. I cannot live with this new haircut, this old haircut. I've got to have the new style here. You know, I've got to have, you know, this, 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 uh, you know, the, 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 these particular clothes. I, I can't go out in public and I have nothing to wear. And you think that's so important. And, the, and God loves you and he's concerned about you. But in God's way of thinking, that is like very insignificant. Amen. Hallelujah. Why didn't everybody say he's the Christ? Secondly, I'm sure there's other reasons, but this is just what I have to offer you tonight. Secondly, many people assume that what God did in the past is what he will do in the future. They think that tomorrow is going to be a repeat, a repetition of yesterday. And if you think that way, you are going to be disappointed. Not only, they, they believe God will do it again, you're right, but here's the mistake, and they also believe he'll do it exactly the same way. No, that's not correct. Just because God worked your miracle this way yesterday 
That doesn't mean that's the way he's going to do it tomorrow. And a lot of times when it happened that way the first time, people were not comfortable with it. They didn't like it. I, I, I didn't like to lay hands on me or, you know, or pray for me I, the way they did, you know. But they got the results. They kind of got used to that. And now suddenly God wants to do things a little differently. And they're like, no, no, I want you to pray for me. I want you to anoint me with oil. But God wants to do things differently, not always the same. And people prefer the familiar over the new. It's just, a, it's just human nature. They prefer what is familiar over the new. But if you stay in your comfort zone, you'll never be the man or woman God called you to be. You'll never grow. You're going to have to step outside of the little boundaries that you have erected for yourself if you want to grow. And that means to develop, there's going to be some unpleasantness. It doesn't always feel good at the moment. So you can stay secure in the little place where you are, or you can have a little bit of courage and say, all right then, I'll step out. Amen. Now, what do I mean by that? What does that have to do with who Jesus is? You see, John wore a coat of camel's hair and lived in the wilderness. And he ate locust and wild honey. I think we all know that. But I don't know if you ever considered this, but the way John looked and the way he lived is very reminiscent, or it reminds us of Elijah. It's very similar to Elijah. Second uh, Kings chapter one verse eight. You don't have to turn there, but Second Kings one eight tells us that Elijah wore a garment of hair with a leather belt. Well, I've got my leather belt on, so I'm I'm, I'm close. But evidently, I guess in you know in that time, men didn't wear leather belts. You see. And Elijah, at various times in his life, lived in the wilderness. And like John, his primary purpose was to call the nation to repentance, you see. So in many respects, Elijah was the prototype of every prophet that came later. He kind of like, he kind of like was the standard in people's minds that Prophets are kind of these weird people that live in the wilderness, you know, eat locusts and wild honey, dress differently, kind of a wild man, kind of a crazy man. And in many people, but of course he called fire down from heaven and worked miracles and changed the nation. So that kind of became the standard. That, that's what a prophet is. Now at the time of Elijah, people just thought he was mad, but later generations thought that's what a prophet is like. And here comes John the Baptist. He wears, you know, a coat of camel's hair, leather belt, lives in the wilderness. There you go. In fact, the Bible even says that he, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Amen. But Jesus was not just another. He was unlike any who ever came before him. Because as a person, he is unique. And his mission, his ultimate aim was also unique. He did on the cross 
what no one before or after could ever do. He didn't just come to call the nation of Israel to come back to God. He came to redeem humanity. You see. And Jesus did not model his ministry after others. He did not imitate John the Baptist. Jesus wore an expensive robe. In fact, on the cross, the Roman guards did not want to tear it because it's very nice. And he evidently did not fast, or at least not fast as often as John did. In fact, his critics harshly accused him of being a glutton. He's not like John. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 19, Matthew 12, 19, this verse is, is quoting from, I believe, Isaiah, and it's really a, a prophecy concerning the Christ, the Messiah, and it says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. See, that indicates that His, his ministry was not as confrontational as maybe John's was. Hmm? And his style was not the same as John. His approach was different. Jesus ate with sinners. He stayed in the home of corrupt bureaucrats, people who were considered traitors to the nation of Israel, and yet he befriended them and, and won them over. So he's different you see. So I know many people, if they were living in the first century AD, they would have advised Jesus, Jesus, you need to get a camel hair coat. Elijah wore that. Look at John. Everybody, I mean, everybody's looking at John. You, you're, you're just not dressed properly for this role. You, that's, if you're a prophet, if you're really, you got to get just a leather belt and a camel hair coat. And, you, 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 you know, you got to start, I hope you like locust. Because that's, that, that's, that's what the people want. That's what works in our day. Huh? In life and in ministry, do not blindly imitate others. He didn't. There can be a lot of pressure that comes against you. You know, there's, when you were in high school, there was peer pressure. I don't know if you experienced that or not. Maybe not. When I was in the high school, there was junior high school or, you know, whatever you call it, sec higher secondary. There was peer pressure. You know, everybody's going to dress a certain way. I maybe have a uniform, but, you know, everybody's going to have the same kind of haircut. Everybody's going to, you know, whatever it is. And, like, there's a lot of pressure. You're the only one. You know, I remember, you know, sometimes as a boy crying because we used to bring our a lunch in like in a little tiffin, like a little box, and they had a certain kind of tiffin box, and I didn't have that kind of tiffin box, and I was so ashamed. I can't go to school. My life is over, you know. <laughs> but then you get older, and you find out that peer pressure doesn't go away. It's still there. And even in the church world, there's peer pressure. Oh, you mean you don't have this? 
You know, you don't do this. You got to wear skinny jeans, and you got to, you know, you got to have this. You got to have the, You got to have this particular equipment, and you got. Well, who says? Oh, well, come on! If you want to be it, you gotta you gotta get yourself a camel hair coat, brother. <laughs> That's what's in right now. But who says? You know, it's so liberating just to be the person God called you to be and to run your race and to stay in your lane. It's so liberating, not having to look for approval from every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Amen. Like I said, the things that you think are so important, years from now you'll look back on that and realize, why on earth was I even bothered about that? I couldn't go to church. Why? I had a pimple right here on my nose. I'm just as big and red and juicy. I, I just couldn't go to church, you know. Everybody was looking at me. What is everybody thinking about me? Ooh, wonder what they're thinking about me. Let me help you out. They're not. <laughs> They're thinking the same thing that you're thinking. What is everybody thinking about me? <laughs> Just, it's so liberating not to live under the, the approval of others, but to please God. And if you do please God, some people won't like it. Get used to it. Deal with it. Doesn't the Scripture say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, let's say it this way. Do not be conformed to the church world, but be conformed to God's Word, even if you're the only one. Hallelujah. So you know that it's time to talk about Brother Hagin because we have to mention Brother Hagin in every message. Otherwise, I just don't feel right about it. So in the 1950s, in the 1950s, I wasn't living in those days. Some of you maybe, I don't know. But, but in the 1950s, um, uh, there was a tremendous healing revival in America. And uh, it was really the day of the evangelist. And people like Oral Roberts, you know, uh, maybe some other names you're not familiar with, but uh, William Branham, uh, Jack Coe, these, these, at that time, super famous people, you know. And nearly, really all of them, they had tent meetings. Not even like a little pondle or something. I mean mass tents that are bigger than this sanctuary. You know, huge tents they would set up, you know, in certain cities. And big city-wide, we would say crusades. You know what I mean by crusade. I mean like, a, you know, drawing people in to hear the gospel and with healing. And so Brother Hagin was, you know, ministering in those days. And he said the Lord specifically spoke to him and said, but you will conduct your meetings in churches. And Brother Hagin said, in every church where I held a meeting, or, or nearly so, there was someone, at least one, sometimes several, who prophesied that the Lord says, you are to buy a tent. But he said, the Lord had already told me, you hold your meetings in churches. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to him during that time and said to him, I want you in your meetings to teach the word. And this was in the time when people wanted great, fiery revivalists. They didn't want teaching. They wanted inspirational preaching. And, and nobody was asking him to come and teach. 
But you cannot pattern your life after everybody else. And you will get criticized for being the person God called you to be because the pioneer catches all the arrows. You know what that means? Like in America, in the great west, you know, the ones who blaze that trail, you know, all the, don't be offended by this, but like the red Indians, those are the ones that they're shooting their arrows at them, you know. So if you, if you want to be a pioneer, get ready for criticism. Hallelujah. Amen. Then Brother Hagin was maybe the first person in America who went on the radio teaching. Now, there were lots of people preaching, but almost probably nobody was teaching. But he didn't pattern his life after what was popular or what everybody else expected of him. And I, for one, am thankful he didn't imitate everybody else. And I think future generations will be thankful if you don't imitate everybody else. There are many things you can learn the principles of, things that you can incorporate that seem to work for you, but don't just blindly copy others. And that's a real Naga trait, isn't it? It is. Just blindly copy what your neighbor is doing. You don't have to do that. Amen. Stay true to your calling. Look at your neighbor. You know who your neighbor is? It's that guy sitting next to you. Look at your neighbor and say, stay true to your calling. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Then, we're still there. Then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And evidently, they were silent because only one man spoke out. Come on, there's 12 of them. See, they, could, they, they had no problem saying what other people believe. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of them. They had no problem saying that. But they were hesitant to say what they believed. And that's just like a lot of people we know today. They can blithely, casually banter on about certain doctrines, but they hesitate to say, but this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. Huh? Hallelujah. But Peter responded in verse 16. This is Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the first century A.D., when this, when this conversation was taking place, in the first century A.D., there was a well-known saying in Latin. And the translation of it is, fortune favors the bold. We kind of, you may have heard that expression even now, but it started way back, even before the time of Christ, B.C., fortune favors the bold. But we today are reminded of another saying. It's found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Do not discard, cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
The Greek literally says it pays wages, great wages, huge. The Greek word is mega, great wages. And the word for confidence means to be outspoken, not afraid to speak. That's what the Greek literally says, not afraid to speak. See, some people are mute. They're silent, not because they don't know the answer. Who do you say I am? And they're mute, not because they don't know the answer, but because they're afraid other people will not agree. So they just go along to get along. It's real quiet today. Amen? Hallelujah? So then in verse 7, so he was bold. Fortune favors the bold. I think there's a principle there that God's favor rests on those who take bold action. Amen. Are we men or are we mice? Come on. We got to have a little, it takes a little courage to live for Jesus, doesn't it? Are you always going to look over your shoulder for the approval of others? People do it even in church, don't they? Nobody, where are the Peters? We need more Peters. You know, the worship leader says, let's all lift our hands. And some people, even today, kind of look left and right. Is it okay if I do this? If everybody on your row is lifting their hands, then maybe I'll join them. You know, let's, let's shout to the Lord. And your first response is not to look up, but to look left and right. Where are the Peters? I said, where are the Peters? Come on. People are quiet and they're silent and they're still, not because they don't know what they should do, but because they're afraid others will not approve. Why don't you get free from that? Just get free from that. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. And then in verse 17, Peter responded. Uh, I'm sorry. In verse 17, Jesus responded to Peter, blessed are you. Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of John. So his father's name was John. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter knew something. He knew Christ's identity, and he knew it because God showed it to him. Flesh and blood did not reveal it. That tells me people could not tell that Jesus was the Son of God by his appearance. Let's try that again. Flesh and blood did not show you this, but my Father in heaven did. That means people did not know who Jesus was simply by the way he looked. We have these ideas in our mind that are not founded in Scripture. Maybe because of artwork and maybe because of, of, of Christian films or things of that nature, we imagine that Jesus had a halo. Because, you know, you see paintings like that. Or that as he walked by, Others could hear angels singing. But friend, that's not true. 
If that was the case, everybody would have known he's the Christ. There's no, script, there's no scripture verse in the Gospels that ever said, and when they looked at his face, they knew he was the Christ. That's not true. There was nothing in his flesh, his, his human appearance, that showed them, told them he was the Son of God. In fact, Isaiah already told you that they did not find him attractive or appealing in his appearance. Amen. You know, some, again, I don't mean to harp on this, but some people are so concerned. Maybe we all are in this day, especially, so concerned about your appearance. You know, all, m most women, I think a study was conducted that, that 99 point some percent of women have at least one thing in their body they wish they could change. I don't like the size of my nose. I don't like my feet. You know, I don't like my hair. It's just something you don't know. And very concerned about their parents. Well, evidently, you don't have to be pretty to be significant in God's kingdom. In fact, most of the people that God has used in a powerful way were not much to look at. <laughs> True. True. There might be a few here and there that look nice. But most of them that God has used to really impact their generation were not easy on the eyes. Some of them were just rather plain looking. A few were just outright ugly. And God used them. I don't know. Maybe somebody needs to hear this sermon. <laughs> and, and you know that, that good looks is a, is a rather temporary situation. Some of you, we see your photo album from the 1970s and think, wow, in those days you were looking good. And then we think, what happened? <laughs> so it's a very temporary situation. It's real quiet in this church. Hallelujah. There was nothing in his appearance that indicated he was the Christ. Now notice this scripture. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says this. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, or we could say, except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say, this verse says, no one can say, say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Well, we're saved because we confess Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised the dead, you'll be saved. So that means nobody can be saved without the help of or the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that means what God showed to Peter, he showed to every Christian. He's not unique. Every person in this room who has received eternal life had the same revelation. See, when, 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 when Jesus said, my father revealed this to you, Peter didn't, you know, like kind of bow his chest and say, I know it. I felt it. I, I, I know. He, he was not aware that that's what happened. That's why Jesus had to tell him. You had the same revelation. You just didn't know it. You didn't come to the altar because they sang a tearful song. You didn't come to the altar because the lights were colorful. You didn't come to the altar because, like, the ushers just looked at you in a compassionate way. You came to the altar because the Spirit of God showed you in your heart Jesus is Lord, and something pulled you toward him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Glory to God. Now, notice he said this, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessing, that's, that's one of our favorite words, right? Be blessed. You know, when we, we, we see people, God bless you. And we just, we pray for our brother. Oh, Lord, bless Brother Zamazawa, right? And a lot of times when we hear the word blessing, we think of acquiring possessions. You know, oh, the Lord has really blessed you. Look at that new car. Look at that house. You know, the Lord has blessed you. Or maybe we think of just the Lord changing circumstances in a favorable way for a person. You know, things worked out well for him. He's blessed or, or he's in good health. Oh, the Lord really blessed you. But Jesus said Peter was blessed because God showed him something. Revelation is the highest type of blessing. I said revelation is the highest type of blessing there is. Why is that? You might say, yeah, that's nice, but... You know, I've got, I've got, I've got a, a disease, I've got a, an illness, a condition, or I'm really struggling under a weight of financial debt, and, and so that's not really what I need. No, no, no. Revelation is the highest type of blessing because every area of lack in your life can be traced to a lack of revelation. Every area of lack, financially, physically, you know, emotionally, socially, whatever it is, every area of lack in your life can be traced to a lack of revelation. That means if you're struggling, there's something you don't know. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Amen. If the Christian life begins with revelation, and I already told you, you wouldn't be saved except the Spirit of God showed you Jesus is the Savior. He is Lord. If the Christian life begins with revelation, it stands to reason it also continues that way. And once again, just like Peter did not realize what had happened, so Jesus had to tell him, you may not have realized what happened, so I'm telling you. Hmm? If knowing the truth sets a man free and you cannot really know the truth and understand the truth and have insight into the truth, I'm talking about God's truth, without the help of the Holy Spirit, then every area of your life where you are failing or where you are bound is an area where you need revelation. Every area where you are struggling, every area of your life where you are failing, that's an area where you need revelation because you can have revelation in one area and be completely blind in another. Are you listening to me? You can have revelation on one you know, uh, topic or one, one, one thing and not see anything in this other area. See, here's something else. Revelation. When I mean that, when I say revelation, I'm not talking about the last book of the Bible, apocalyptic end time. I'm not, I'm not referring to that. I'm not talking about you writing a book in the Bible. No, that's not going to happen. I'm talking about the Spirit of God giving you insight and understanding from God's Word. 
Because you can read scripture that is very familiar to you, and it just doesn't mean anything to you. It's just like, yeah. And then one day you can read it, and suddenly, whoa, it just hits you. Right? It suddenly you see something you've never, has that ever happened to anybody here today? Where, I don't mean it happened today, but has that ever happened to anybody where you, you read something in the Bible maybe or, or maybe while someone was preaching, suddenly, whoa, wait a minute, boom, I never saw that before, right? Revelation is personal. Peter saw at that moment what 11 other men did not. It's strange when you consider this. They all have been with Jesus for at least three years. They're eyewitnesses. They, they've experienced it. They saw it. Revelation is not based on your personal experience. It's from the Spirit of God. Mere personal experience alone does not qualify you to teach on certain topics. Paul taught on marriage. He's never married. Jesus taught on marriage. He's never married. So it'd be easy to say, oh, we're not going to listen to you. You were never married. I mean, if you were married to my wife, uh, you, you were married to my husband. Personal experience alone does not qualify you to teach on a subject. Revelation does. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Revelation is personal. So if you are in a position of counseling with a fellow believer, it, does, it could be a formal type setting like in a church or something. Like that. It could be informally like you're speaking with a friend. One thing that you must remember is just because you see something doesn't mean that other person sees it. You're talking with someone, they're going through difficulty, trouble, and as they're speaking, it's obvious to you, this is the problem. But the problem is, the difficulty is, they don't see that. Your spouse and your children don't need to be nagged. They need revelation. You're telling them the same thing a thousand times. They've already heard it a thousand times. The problem is you see it, they don't see it. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Often in our circles, uh, you know, in, in our, you know, word of faith type church or whatever you want to call it, often in our company, whatever, we're trying to get others in the church to make the right confession when they don't have the revelation. Peter saw it before he said it. And we're trying to get people to say things that they don't see. And that's why in the church they may repeat, you know, or maybe perhaps when they're with their fellow Christian, they'll just echo those sentiments, those thoughts, but in their daily life, it's not part of their conversation because you got to see it before you say it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, i gotta, I got to finish. I'm, I won't be long. Peter confessed, you're the son of God. And this is the rock 
on which the church is built. This is that rock. This is the foundation of the church. The Passion Translation says this. Uh, again, the same verse, Matthew chapter 16. It says, Jesus said, And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. So the foundation of the church doesn't rest on who Peter is or who any other saint is. The foundation of the church is Christ's identity, who he is. Hallelujah. So notice he asked that question to all of them. But who do you say that I am? What you say does not change who Jesus is. He is who he is regardless of what you think about it, regardless of what you say about it. But what you say does change who he is in your life. Let me say it again. What you say about it doesn't change who Jesus is. But it does change who he is in your life. The Bible tells me in several places that Jesus is Lord of all. But he will not be your Lord unless you confess him as Lord. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. All right. Praise God. Jesus is also healer and provider. Huh? But it is not enough to know what Jesus can do or what he is willing to do. You need a revelation of who he is. His identity is more important than his ability. You first must know who he is. If you see who he is, then it's easy to receive from what he does. He is my healer. He is the provider of my life. You need a revelation of the identity of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then you need to acknowledge it. Then you need to not cast away your confidence and say freely. And he said in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter. After the Holy Spirit shows you who Christ is, the next thing he does is show you who you are. I said, after the Holy Spirit shows you who Jesus is, then he's going to show you who you are. See, some people, they have a revelation of who Jesus is, but they have no revelation of who they are in Christ. He's Lord. He's Savior. And I'm a worm and I'm a dog. Jesus didn't say, and I tell you that you are a loser. <laughs> he didn't say that. Hallelujah. And he reveals to you your purpose in life. 
You need to know who he is. And then you need to know what he wants you to do. Because on the road to Damascus, there was a light that shone brighter than the noonday sun. And Paul asked two questions. Saul of Tarsus asked two questions, which everybody needs the answer to. Number one, who are you, Lord? And number two, what do you want me to do? As soon as he shows you who he is, next step, this is who you are. This is your purpose in life. Amen. So the question then is, how can I have revelation? We said revelation is the highest type of blessing. How do you receive other types of blessings? Well, one way is ask and believe. You have not because you ask not. The Apostle Paul prayed for a church that, that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You can ask for that as well. Amen. And it is important to notice that Peter got this revelation in the presence of Christ. He wasn't out over here somewhere just fishing or just, you know, talking with friends. He was in the presence. He was face to face with Jesus when it was given to him. So you need to press into the presence of the Lord. That's where you find revelation. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get a lot of revelation at the carom board. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you're getting a lot of revelation watching Cartoon Network. Huh? I don't, I don't know. But I think when you're in that place of prayer, in that place of worship, when you're in the fellowship of other believers, when you're in the Word, certainly that's where you're, you're available now for God to give you extra light. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Let's lift our voices toward the Lord and thank Him for His Word today right now. Come on, everybody. Thank you, Lord Jesus.